The Old Testament reading is from chapter. Be so close. The Old Testament reading is uh, from Genesis chapter six, verse one through six. It can be found on page thirteen in your pew Bibles. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign the Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Elzir, Eliezer of Damascus and Abram said you have given me no children so a servant in my household will be my heir then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who had, who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting at verse 14 through 24. It's on page 1012. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. 
It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, my name is uh, Carrie Rogers, and I'm the pastor of Canvas Church. And so welcome to our first worship together uh, as Sherman Street and, uh, and Canvas Church. We've got a bunch of our folks are, are here today, too. And so it is so good to see so many of you. I can't tell you what a privilege it is uh, for me to be here um, because um, we're big fans. Uh, we're big fans of you all. Um, you guys have been kind of heroes to us in, in kind of walking through this this process, and we've been um, looking at you as examples, and, and, and as well as a, as a lot of you in, in this classes. And so, um, it is just so good to be with you. I was kind of joking um, with Jen and Tony this week. I was like, we do we have a, a different expression of worship, right, and how we do things, but we have the same. Uh, we are one in the same spirit. We use the same uh, kinds of language. Um, we're late a lot. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, this is the, this is the vibe that, um, that I'm looking for. Uh, but also, and then being in this space, you know, um, it, it kind of brought me back to, um, sitting in pews when I was a kid at Bauer Christian Reformed Church. Um, and my mom handing me, um, two Mentos for the prayers of the people. Cause it was going to be long. So, uh, but no, it's so, it's so good. And you have to forgive me, I've got a little bit of a cold. I um, babysat my friend's uh, three kids for several days who I believed were plotting a, um, a coup d'etat uh, the entire time since I have no children of my own. It was um, a lot different and they have gotten me sick because they're always dripping, right? And so, um, so anyway, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you this morning and, and talking. So our church, in, in, in ways that are similar to yours, right, um, many people have found their way uh, to Canvas Church uh, because of some level of deconstruction, right? And sort of thinking and rethinking and asking difficult questions along the way. And now we've found ourselves sort of what we're calling a uh, wandering in the desert, so to speak, right? Um, and we have really been talking a lot about this idea of certainty, Right, and I read this wonderful book that we sort of walked our way through um, over the course of not as many weeks as I probably would have liked uh, by Dr. Peter Enns called "The Sin of Certainty," and man, it just it, it changed my way of thinking. It really, I think, gave me permission and gave me some words to feel the way that I was feeling um, about uh, about my faith and about the way that I um, I read and understand Scripture. And so it's one of those books that um, some people will go, oh, I love that guy. And some people will look at you like, suspect. Uh, but uh, I think he's great because you're allowed to ask questions and he just gives sort of permission. And so uh, certainty is this idea of something I've been thinking about for a long time over the many years probably. Because when I was younger, sitting in places like Bauer Christian Reformed Church, I felt certain about so much more than I feel certain about now. I felt certain about scripture, but I felt certain about life 
and the choices that I would make or not make, the things that I was going to say that I was for or against, I had an idea. I had an idea of who I was as a person, um, and I knew how I would respond to things. And it was, you know, drilled into my head in some really good ways in Sunday school, right, to know what I believed about who Jesus was. And that was foundational and good for me. But as I got older, right, things start to change a little bit. But because it became more about knowing what I believed so that I could defend it. Do you remember maybe when you were, if you're my age, I'm 42, uh, I would, we would be in Sunday school and we would um, whip out the sword of the spirit, right, the Bible, and we would do uh, drills about where are things found so that you could quickly open to that page and know exactly um, and it was this idea of what it meant to defend things. I'm in a, a book club with some friends, and um, they were telling a story sort of about this. And, and, and she was sharing a story about how she went to, like, a church camp. And um, they, they went away, and they went to sleep. They woke them up in the middle of the night to tell them that Russians were coming. And would you stand for Jesus? It was all very traumatic. Can you imagine? And I'm like, yeah, that actually sounds kind of on par for, you know, the church in the 90s in some ways, right? <laughs> um, so, but, and part of me understands that kind of thinking. Right? I have a 16-year-old um, nephew who's a huge part of my life. He, he spends weekends with me. Uh, he's got a room at my house. And I want him and other kids to feel safe and to feel certain about how much God loves them that he made them and he calls them. I want him to know what he believes. But the difference for me now is that I want him to also be curious, right? Curious and to continue to ask really hard questions so that throughout his life, he can experience God and develop a deep trust in God and his promises. Because there's been a major shift, right, in the evangelical world towards certainty. We hear leaders say that the Bible is crystal clear about abortion, divorce, same-sex relationships, guns, self-preservation, refugees, and overall just how great America is. The Bible's super clear. <laughs> right? And this doctrine, this rhetoric gets cranked up uh, around every election. So I remember saying to my church a couple weeks ago, we pray for our leaders, but man, I cannot wait till this season is over, right? That's because it causes some anxiety. I was sick of the text messages and all the things, and I was sick of this rhetoric, right? That the only Christian choice is to vote red, and it's clear, and you are asked to put your faith and your hope and your trust in a party with absolute unwavering certainty and allegiance. So here's what I find uh, Dr. N's book and work so helpful is that he offers us the idea that the Bible was never meant to give us clarity on all subject matter. And man, that's freeing for me, right? It's not meant to always have this absolute clarity. Time and time again, what scripture is really telling us to do is to let go of your need to know. To know every single thing, how it works, why that is. Ask good questions, those are good, but to have to know, maybe we can open ourselves up to a little bit of wonder, right? Because we, we want to know and understand God, and asking questions is good because it's how he draws us in. It's how he draws us closer to himself. And N says this, the problem is preoccupation with correct thinking, 
mistaking our thoughts about God with the real thing, and then to base our faith on holding on to that certainty. The Bible is not remotely interested in that preoccupation the same way that we are. So this gets a little tricky and problematic when we use words like believe or belief. I have a belief in something. I have a strong conviction. Um, To think about the conversation, we have to use, you know, we use words like, um, so what do you believe in? Really? Hmm. I don't really believe that at all. Um, Here's what I believe. Or wow, you believe, what you believe and what I believe seem really different. What kind of Bible are you reading? You know, you couldn't join my church or date my child with beliefs like that, right? That's how we use the language of believe and belief. Believing is a thinking word, right? A word to describe the content of our thoughts. I believe that God exists. And atheists don't believe that. I believe that God created the world. And some people would say, I believe it happened by random chance. Those are beliefs. Those are cognitive understandings. I believe that Jesus was the son of God and not just another Jewish carpenter or a prophet. And it's used in the Bible, right? Believing doesn't focus on what someone believes in, but in whom one places his or her trust. Namely, do you put your trust in God or not? So it all sort of boils down to this who word, that believing is a who word, and it all boils down to trust, right? The Israelites trusted God because of what God had done for them, right? He rescued them, he redeemed them, he rescued them from the Egyptians, then again later in Babylonian captivity, came to the rescue again, he continued on and on in the story of God's people to rescue and redeem them time and time and time again. The Bible doesn't focus on believing on the what, but on the who, right? Not intellectual kinds of thinking, but the belief of really a trust in a person. This God of the universe and in Jesus Christ, right? People in biblical times didn't have the preoccupation that we do of this cognitive understanding of what it means to believe, right? This is what I mean when I often say things to our church all the time, like, we just overcomplicate things sometimes, right? In our, in our quest for more knowledge, in our quest for more understanding, right? And suggest that, that when we see belief or believe in the Bible, those actual words, that we could actually swap them out with the word trust and we'll probably be a little bit closer to what the Bible is actually saying to us about belief. An example um, that he gives in this book is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. For sure my favorite story in the Old Testament because I'm a big Abraham fan. Um, And probably before that, I really loved Abram, right? Before his name changed, before he, um, you know, before he started on his big quest. My favorite story um, in all of scripture is when God calls Abram, right? In Genesis chapter 12, where he says, I've called you. I'm going to go ahead and want you to leave uh, your people and your land and everything you know and go to, oh, just by the way, go to a place I will show you. No destination, no nothing, just go to a place and I, that I will show you. And then the next part of that scripture verse is, so Abram went, 
right? There's this, there's this idea that he had a belief in a person, right? A trust in a person that God was going to make a way. And so you just uh, read, uh, or you heard uh, by a wonderful, it's not a pumpkin, she does so good with the reading. I gave you some hard words. Um, but we meet uh, uh, that same uh, Abraham in Genesis uh, 15, and he's childless, and he's getting older. So let's read that again. Um, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but your son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Verse five, this is where it really hits home. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That moment in in, in verse six, Abram believed in the Lord. That's the first time and first place in the Bible that this idea of believing comes up, right? Believing in the original Hebrew of this story is aman, right? Which we know is the English word amen. You're now scholars. Congratulations. But here's something that I didn't know before is that when we say amen at the end of a prayer, what it really is, it's a declaration of trust. So often we use it as a, okay, I'm done talking now right? The end. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Uh, right? But, but this idea of amen, really, if it's a declaration of trust, it's saying, I have presented these things to you. I have given you my praise. I have given you my concerns. I have given you the things in my life that I'm, uh, I'm scared about. I've given you all these things, and now I give, I, I, I give my trust to you that you will do what you will. Amen is a declaration of the kind of putting our trust, of the letting go and putting the matters in the hands of God. Now I trust you with it. I started um, saying it this way a few years ago. Um, When I pray, I started saying uh, at the end of it, in the name of Jesus, we pray and we believe. But now I sort of want to start to, to change that and say in the name of Jesus, we pray and we trust. Isn't that beautiful? Right? That God promised this very old man and his old barren wife a lot of kids. And Abram believed. Not simply that God was able to pull it off, but he trusted God to pull it off. Abraham amend God to come through. And it's fine to say that he believed, I think, as long as we understand that it's more than just this cognitive what, but it's a who. Word. It was who he was putting this belief in. It wasn't that Abraham thought about God. It was the fact that he put his trust in God. Sometimes we do a lot more thinking than actually doing the work of handing things over and putting our trust. Right? Belief shows up in the New Testament a lot, um, but it's still talking about trust. This is this time Jesus talks about it a lot, right? He's so often, um, when, when people with certainty come up to Jesus, uh, especially those who uh, are religious and say, well, what about this and what about that? And they're trying to catch him. Jesus almost always responds with a question. 
right? I love that. Jesus doesn't lean into certainty. He leans into questions. There's a couple quick, quick examples of this trust idea. One you heard in Mark 9, Mark 9 uh, 14 through 29, of the man that brought his son who was convulsing and foaming at the mouth and, and wanting Jesus to heal. And in verse 9, Jesus said, All things can be done for the one who believes. To which the father cries out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I, that statement, that honest statement resonates with me so much, right? Because the father needs help letting go. I need help letting go. I hold on to things so tightly sometimes because I, I want to control them. And I'm saying that I'm, pr- I'm praying them away, but I'm, I'm holding on so tight to the other end of that that I don't let it go. And, and this, the, the, the statement here is, is that the situation is totally out of his control, his father's control. He needs to trust Jesus with his son. And this man is saying, yes, I trust you. Well, not really, but I'm really trying to, right? I want to, but I'm scared. And that, that feels like me. That feels like us. I want to do these things. I want to put this belief in this trust in you and who you say you are. And I'm trying so hard. But then he goes a step further. But help me trust you. Help me. Right? And then there's a story of, of Jesus uh, arriving too late to the house of Jairus, right, to save his daughter in Luke chapter 8. Um, Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus saying, well, you, you know, you got to heal my daughter. She's so sick. And so Jesus is calm. Of course I will, right? So they go off to do this. And on the way, uh, he meets a, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, right? It's this moment of this miracle. So just real quick, he heals her on his way to this other thing, right? This urgent thing that he's on his way for. Um, and, and when they're on their way, they get word that this daughter has already died, so don't bother coming. But Jesus comes anyway. And when he comes and he finds that he's in this house, they're in full mourning, right? This mourning is happening and, and, and they, don't, they don't think that Jesus is going to do anything. They don't expect Jesus to do anything. And so in verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Nobody was expecting anything. And when Jesus said, only believe, he was clearly asking them, and obviously especially Jairus, to trust him to come through. Saying, entrust me with your daughter. I know what you think has happened, but do you trust me? Because belief is trust, right? Moving from your head to your whole self, where your belief is sort of all in. All the chips are on the table. You do the thing like in the movies where you scoop them up and then you push them all into the middle and say, this is where I'm at. I am all in. That's the part that we can't lose sight of when we talk about this idea of belief and of certainty because believing is a who word. Letting go of fear and our burning impulse to act, right? And instead, we trust God. So now, when I come across the word in the Bible, I, I want to start replacing it with trust. And as I've done that, I'm like, wow, what a difference that makes. It doesn't, it's not changing its meaning. It's making it, I think, a lot deeper. I, I encourage you to do that. In, in your devotions this week, if you come across those words, replace it. And it will, it will hit you a little bit differently when you do that. And says that believing is easy. It gives us wiggle room to think our way out of a tight spot, but trust doesn't have any wiggle room. It explodes it. 
Trust is about being all in. I think that's been what's been so right, difficult for us as, as our churches and as our leaders, right, have sometimes moved into this idea of cognitive certainty. We forgot what it means to be okay with trusting a God who welcomes our questions, who Jesus himself, when he was here, was always saying, I know that you've heard that it's said, but I say, have you thought about this? He's asking us to hold our hands out to let go of some of the things that we think we know about who he is and trust who he says he is. And man, that's difficult work. I say it like, no problem, so easy, right? We, we have this. But the honest thing that we can say is, I want to, but help me in my disbelief. We pray with me? Father God, we read in your scriptures today an honest phrase. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I am trying to trust you with my whole self, but it's hard. Jesus, give us strength and courage to get out of our own heads, to let go of all that we think we know, the things that we hold on to so tightly and instead allow us to open our hands and release it to you so that we can be set free to receive new things from you. Give us the courage to follow the example of Jesus and to ask good questions of ourselves, our faith, and our world. Give us the gift of trust. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we trust. And all God's people said, amen. amen.